for your goodness and your love to us. Lord, we're thankful for the testimonies that we can share, that we can see your hand working in lives and in our own lives. Lord, again, I want to just go on record again thanking you for all the unseen things, things that we're not even aware of. But we know that you are working and keeping us safe and in your love and in your care. We're thankful that you never give up, you never take a break, you never need a rest. You're always working. We thank you for your love, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 15. And again, uh, this is not a connected series of any kind, other than we're looking at some of the psalms over the next several weeks. And um, this is certainly a, uh, a psalm worth mentioning these Little psalms, sometimes we have a tendency just to read over them very quickly and miss the import. If you're following the Bible reading schedule, you will read or should have read this psalm today. And uh, that is good preparation for the preaching. Amen. And so Psalm 15, Lord... Who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly, and worketh righteousness, and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor in whose eyes a vile person is condemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent, he that doeth these things shall never be moved. Now, this little psalm here has got a great list. And as you're looking at this psalm, what you need to remember, of course, the rules of poetry, the rhyming and matching of ideas. And in verse one, he asked a question. He said, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? And we go all the way down to the very end, the last phrase. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. Now, that's a promise. The first is a question. The question is, Lord, who's going to dwell in thy tabernacle? Now, this is listed as a psalm of David. And uh, David would have written this psalm had the temple been built. No, Solomon would do that in the first seven years of his reign. The tabernacle believe it or not, was not even all in one place. The Ark of the Covenant was in Jerusalem. The tent, the brazen altar, the golden altar of incense, the laver, most of those articles were in Shiloh, where they had been from the days of Eli, who had raised Samuel as a little boy. Samuel had died As a very old man, when David was a young man, sometime during the life of David, he wrote this psalm. And so, 
that what we would call the tabernacle wasn't even all in one place. What he's talking about here is communion with God. Tabernacle was a picture, was a living illustration of communion with God. Now, if I were to ask the question, how many of you want communion with God? How many of you want to be close? I mean, all of our hands would go up. That is something that, uh, I mean, the proof that you're here on Sunday night is something saying, hey, I want more than just one little dose in the morning. I, I want Sunday morning. I want Sunday night. I need more than that. And to be in communion, who shall dwell in thy holy hill? Now, there's been an awful lot of, of questioning about this. Let me tell you, whatever hill the tabernacle sits on is holy. The tabernacle was meant to be moved. And, of course, David had aspirations for Jerusalem. He wanted to build a temple there. But God said, no. And so David is here asking the question, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Not even the priest abode there. Continually. The priest, David, would divide them up into orders. There would be 24 different orders. Two would serve each month so that a division of, of, uh, of duties and things could be shared. And along with that uh, division of duties would also be a division of income. The priests were not to have to work their fields to raise their food. They were to be busy about the tabernacle. And David had it worked out to where these priests would serve in the temple or in, in the future temple two weeks out of the year. And that would be their main income for the year. And so uh, that's an interesting way to work. Uh, but that was the way that the things were so that uh, David had worked it out. And he's saying, who's going to abide in thy tabernacle? Who's going to be in constant fellowship with God? Who's going to dwell? The idea of dwelling is a permanent residence in thy holy hill. Who's going to be close and always have available to them communion with God? Then he goes down to the end and picks up the triplet here, the, the third part of this. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. Now, when you see the word never in your Bible, you'd better watch out. When God uses the word never, how many of you have ever taken test, true and false test? If the word never is in there, it's almost always false. Because nothing is ever never. Right? Except taxes. Um, but the simple truth here is God uses the word never. He says you will never be moved. This will always be true. 
So don't you think we ought to spend a little time finding out what these things are? That's what this psalm is about. And he's going to give them to us in three lists of three. He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh truth in his heart. This speaks of, Philip, thank you. This speaks of your life direction. What what is going on in your life in general? It's walking uprightly. You know, that's not something that you just do on Sunday when you come to church. That's something you do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or you don't do it on Sunday. People will look at your life, and how many times over the years have I run into people that try to use the hypocrisy excuse not to serve Christ. I always like that. I I don't go to church because of hypocrites. First question I always want to ask is, does that apply for your paycheck too? How many hypocrites are at the restaurant you work at, Dave? How about in the police department? How about at the bank? How, How many hypocrites are in the doctor's office. I mean, you're not going to go any place. How many people work? Does anybody here work in a place where everybody just loves to come to work and they work their heart out to serve Christ? I do. I love to work here. And Peter and I are the only two employees, and when we get into a row over something, we get it fixed, Amen. Uh, But let me tell you, hypocrites are everywhere. And by the way, it's not always fun and games at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. But listen, hypocrites are everywhere. He that walketh uprightly, that's somebody whose life is fashioned according to the Word of God. Would your people who you work with, would they say you walk uprightly? You do right? That person is always wanting to do right? What's the next one? Worketh righteousness. When you produce something, what do you produce? Is it right? Is it good? These are the things that must be in place in your life. You say... Listen, all I do is is go over paper and compare invoices and, and do data entry. Well, wait a minute. It says worketh righteousness. Are you given a full day's work? Are you being honest? Are you doing your work to the best of your ability? That's what it's talking about here. It's talking about giving it all and speaketh the truth in his heart. Now, that's a tough one sometimes. How many of you have ever muttered under your breath at something you have to do? We all have, haven't we? Who does that person think they are asking me to do? Well, wait a minute. It says, speaketh the truth in his heart. How do you speak the truth in your heart, my friend? Well... The Bible says, 
Out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. So what you have to do to speak truth in your heart is you got to fill your heart with truth. Now let me ask you a question. Can you fill your heart with truth watching TV all the time? It's all lie. Can you fill your heart with truth listening to the talk shows all the time, trying to keep up with everything that's going on? Well, let me tell you, I mean, everything's a lie today almost. How are you going to fill your heart with truth so that you can speak the truth in your heart? you got to fill it with God's Word. you got to have some godly music. I mean, I, I enjoy uh, uh, music as much as anybody does. But I, I want my music to speak to my heart. You see, this set of three, they work together. We're rhyming ideas. I'm walking, I'm working, I'm talking. That's, that's who I am. That's basically my life direction. Now look at the next one, next set of three. These are all negative. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. This is my relationship with others. How easy is it to just add a smart aleck comment to something. How easy is it to say, oh, that person thinks they're so right, but I know well, that's backbiting. It's not front biting because that, that's what they did to Stephen in Acts chapter 6. Uh, read it there. They gnashed on him with their teeth. But backbiting is waiting until the person turns around and they're not looking, not paying attention and taking a bite out of them, talking behind their back, we might say. Nor doeth evil to his neighbor. You know, there's just some mean people out there. And there are some Christians who just do something mean every once in a while. you got to get over that if you don't want to be moved. That is the flesh speaking. You do not need to hurt anyone to serve Christ. Amen? Now, if you're going to get ahead in this world, let me tell you something. You're going to have to hurt somebody to do it. That's why we have all of this infighting in the office and all of the... I mean, there's always somebody there to lie about you, to try to take something from you. As a Christian, you don't need to do that. You don't fight fire with fire. Now, this next one, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. By the way, if you want to know who your neighbor is, read the story of the uh, Good Samaritan. Amen? That's who your neighbor is. Anybody that you can help, It's easy to get on the bandwagon, they say. It's easy 
for someone else to do all the work and lay out the prop land here and, and say all the bad things and, well, what do you think? Silence. Well, what did you just, in essence, do? You agreed with them. You became part of the crew. The Bible says that you don't take up a reproach against a neighbor. You don't just join in when everybody is, and maybe this person deserves some reproach. But that doesn't mean you're the one that has to give it to them. That's what this is talking about. Nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. So this set, not backbiting, not hurting or doing evil toward anyone else, and not taking up a reproach, not joining with others. Uh, there are many times that people will do things through other people. You know how that works, right? Don't be a part of that. Now we come to the life direction. What's going on in the first three? What you're doing, your contact toward others. Now this third one reaches the deepest. This is what's going on in your heart. In whose eyes a vile person is contemned. But he honoreth them that fears fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. How many of you know what the word contemned means? It's not a word we use in modern English very much, but it simply means looked down upon, despised, treated as little. You know what the biggest problem we had with Bill Clinton? He was a vile person, still is, a vile person in his character and in his morals. But you know what most of America did with Bill Clinton as president? Wow, I wish I could have gotten away with that. That's why he wasn't impeached. Well, he was impeached, but he wasn't convicted. He wasn't removed from office as he most certainly should have been. Because he broke the law. He lied about it. The only president of the United States that was ever disbarred from being a lawyer because of his own activity, that is in and of itself an impeachable offense. It ought to be. I mean, it is. It's just simply that nobody pays attention. Why? Because the people of this nation did not contemn a vile person in his wickedness. He was not despised. For being wicked, he was despised for getting caught. Do you see the difference? Now, we get accused sometimes as Bible-believing Christians of looking down our nose at people. And that's not what it is at all. 
when a person chooses vileness and sets their life as this is what my life is going to be, that's on purpose, my friend. You do not need to worry about sitting down with, uh, let's just pick a name, Alec Baldwin, and trying to share the gospel with that filthy piece of human debris called called an actor. Do you know where I'm going with this? You don't need to sit down with Marilyn Manson, the rock star, the, uh, and, and try to talk to them about the goodness of God. These people ought to be contemned. They ought to be looked down upon. Because they have chosen a life. Now, let me tell you something. If anybody, including Bill Clinton, walked through that back door and sincerely said, I want to get right with God, what are we going to do as a church? Everything we can possibly do to help that man out. If Jane Fonda walked through the back door and said, I'm tired of living this wicked, rotten life I've lived, it'd be hard. I'd have to pray. Because any woman that would aim a machine gun at our soldiers during a time of war, she did in Vietnam. Allowed pictures to be taken of her in North Vietnam aiming weapons at our planes flying overhead for propaganda against this country. I got a problem with that. But if she said, I want to get right with God, let me tell you something, I'll do anything I can to help her. But this is not talking about people who want help. This is talking about people who want to live vilely. You know what? It's time to look down our nose. It's time to say, if that is the life choice you want to make, I want you to understand something. I do not respect you as a human being. Because you are destroying the basis of everything that good society is about. Not all that's in the Bible is pleasant, my friend. Here's the problem. If you do not hate evil, you're going to end up joining in with them. If you were here for Sunday school, if it could happen to Solomon, it will happen to you. You're not that smart. I'm not that smart. We've got to understand that this vileness that is in our society needs to be met with a contemning eye. Oh, my. And I'm looking that direction. It will help you. Now, I've heard so much about... You need to hate sin and love the sinner that we have people out there loving sin. In whose eyes a vile person is contemned? If you want help, let me tell you, you come to the right place. If you want us to help you be a better sinner, uh, you're going to have to try the 
City Light Church down the street here on 31st Avenue. Uh, they have a church of no condemnation. You can do whatever you want, and they'll never tell you it's wrong. That's their own advertisement, not mine. I, I wouldn't even repeat from the pulpit some of their advertisements because they are vile. And we contemn these things. But we honor them that fear the Lord. I want my kids' heroes to be men like Charlie Horton, Jeff Copes, Sam Davison. I want my kids to come. Daddy, I want to be like that. If I ever had a kid say, I want to be like Michael Jordan, I'd wash his mouth out with soap. Or any of these famous basketball stars today. Or football or baseball. I'll tell you. Somebody said, I want to be like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'd washed her mouth out with soap for a week. Uh, I mean, that's it's just ridiculous stuff. But these are the heroes. You know why? Because we do not contemn vile persons anymore. We need to honor them that fear the Lord. When Brother Clayton and Brother Marshall come, hey, you want to pick a hero for your life. You pick either one of those men as your life's hero. And you wouldn't go wrong, let me tell you. Men that have served God. Between the two of them, they've been in the ministry over a hundred years. I like being around men like that. Those are my heroes. I want to honor them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt. This is the next set. And changeth not. Now that's not talking about purposely going out there and doing something to hurt yourself. What it is, is it simply says you give your word... And circumstances change. You were lied to. You were taken advantage of. Hey, when you give your word, it's given. You know what we call that? Uh, character. You know what we said didn't matter to be a president of the United States? Character. That's why you got to start with the first one. It matters what you say. He sweareth to his own hurt. I mean, there are some times, in fact, when we had the inner city missions class here, I tried to explain this point to some of the men in the class. Young men, as they're coming up in the ministry, there will be times in the ministry when you have to do things that aren't going to necessarily be good for you. But they're going to be good for the cause. We're not talking about doing wrong. We're not talking about neglecting your family so you can serve the Lord. That's ridiculous stuff. But there are just some times when you're going to have to make decisions that are not going to be the easiest thing in the world for you to do. You do them anyway. That's what this is talking about. And then this last one. 
He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. You know, there's a lot of ways you can make money today. You can get money easily if you want to. This saying, not put your money to usury. The idea here is that, see, today when you go to the bank, the bank charges you interest when you borrow money. If you take out a 30-year loan to buy a house, how many times have you paid for your property? Almost three times. Check the numbers. Why do you think they're so interested in extending the loan period? The first 20 years of that loan is interest. You pay off the item in 10 years. That's the way all loans are designed. Now, back in these days, you had the opportunity when one of your friends came and said, Hey, I I need uh, uh, 50 bucks until uh, the weekend until I I get my pay or whatever. And uh, they say, "Ah, No problem, uh, 10% interest. Would that be okay? And you can still do that. They're called loan sharks. I remember when we were first driving through Astoria, uh, a real estate agent was showing me the neighborhood and apartments. And he said, you see that guy right there? And I said, which one? He said, the big fat one right there walking across the street. I said, yeah. He said, stay away from him. He's a loan shark. He'll break your legs. And I'm sitting here going, that happens in the movies. He's saying, no, no, no. That guy's for real. I never saw him again, and I'm pretty glad about that. Uh, listen, there are people out there where you can make money. And you know what? Sometimes it says taking a reward against the innocent. Sometimes you can get that pay raise by helping somebody else get pushed out. That's taking a reward against the innocent. You can make a little extra money by tweaking certain things. I mean, we have it happen all the time here. I get a phone call. We'd like to come in and we'd like to do a mortgage uh, seminar in your church. Oh, really? What's this all about? Well, listen, anybody that refinances with us, uh, we uh, we would make a donation to the church on their behalf. I said, really? Kickbacks? Oh, no, no. This is perfectly legal. Phone companies used to merchandise churches. If you can get everybody in your church or for every person in your church that will sign up with our thing and name your church, they'll, they'll give you a reward for that. And I always tell them, we, we don't merchandise our people here. But this isn't merchandising. Uh, wait a minute, you're selling a service and you're going to give me a profit if my people in my church sell the service. That makes me a salesman. I'm not a salesman. I'm a preacher. And by the way, I don't deal with liars. Bye. You know why? 
Because you take a reward against the innocent. God's going to hold you guilty. Sounds good. God says it's not. Is it right to charge interest? Well, you have the money, they need it. You ought to get something for the use of that money. But listen, don't you be the one that takes advantage of somebody who is in desperate need. That's what this is talking. It's not talking about interest on your home loan. This is talking about taking advantage of your friend. This is talking about manipulating other people's tragedy to enrich you personally. There's something wrong with people that do that. We used to call them gangsters. You see, the Bible says that if you will deal with these things in your life, you're going to walk uprightly. You're going to do righteous. You're going to work righteousness. You're going to speak the truth in your heart. That's your life direction. You're not going to backbite and talk about people behind their back. You're not going to do evil against your neighbor. You're not just going to get on the bandwagon when everybody jumps on so-and-so or whatever. You're not going to take up a reproach against your neighbor. Then you've got a set of doublets here, double triplets, we might say. You contemn the vile person, you honor them that fear the Lord. You swear to your own hurt, you refuse to change. Because your word is your bond. You don't collect interest, and you don't take a reward against the innocent. The Bible says, if you do these things, you're never going to be moved. It begs the question, where am I never going to be moved from? Doesn't it? If I'm never going to be moved, where am I stuck? In his tabernacle, on his holy hill. Hey, that's a good place to get stuck. That, In fact, we read in the book of Revelation as we've studied through the promises to the churches that did right. What did he say? It's going to be a pillar in a temple, my God. It's never going to go out. It's never going to come in. That was to the Philadelphia church. I kind of like that idea. Of course, that's where we got our name. He says, Behold, I have set before thee an open door. We got three of them out front right now. And we praise the Lord that those doors can be opened. Jesus has opened them. He keeps them open. But he says, you know what? If you do these things, you'll never be moved. You'll be cemented in that holy hill. You're going to abide in that tabernacle. You're going to be where you want to be if you love the Lord. Amen? Wonderful little song. And by the way, we just scratched the surface here. What we need to do is live this song. Amen?
Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what is in it. Lord, we thank you for the promises that are here. Lord, we ask that you would make us mindful this week. So easy. So easy just to step back a little bit. So easy just to get on the bandwagon. It's so easy just to let it go uncontemned. Lord, help us that we would not be moved. In your name we pray. And we'll just let you finish that prayer. If you want to pray at your seat or come down, spend a few moments at the altar.